Hello, this is Lafayette Faust, creator of the Nevermore Hollows podcast. Thank you for making the show a success. Please take a moment to subscribe, give five stars, comment, and share the show with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow and to be able to continue to provide quality horror content. Also, please support our new art director, Chris Madman Goins, at Black Sheep Studios TN on Instagram. He has some amazing Nevermore Hollows art for sale, signed by the both of us, as well as many other original pieces I think you're going to love. Now, for you horror hounds who like to have a good laugh, I invite you to check out my other podcast. It's called The Three Uncool Cats. In it, my two friends and I sit in a basement and discuss music, movies, and whatever else comes into our warped minds. I would really appreciate it if you would give it a listen. Now, with that out of the way, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. Well, I see you've again found yourself here in Nevermore, where mysterious and grotesque things plague the townsfolk. It would appear you have an appetite for the bizarre. And that's okay, because those of us who are open to the mysteries that lie just beyond the veil can learn valuable lessons that just might keep us alive, if they don't first drive us insane. With that thought, let's keep in mind what the good book tells us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Tonight's story is a cautionary tale. One where a young girl attempts to control those dark forces instead of fighting against them. And she learns a very unfortunate lesson. My name is Lafayette Faust, and I am Nevermore's historian. I offer the stories that give a glimpse at these mysteries, though some would prefer that I did not. So, I ask that you sit back. Turn on a light and prepare yourself. Murga Matt's daughter fancied herself a witch. She had more than once concluded that she was probably the best dark witch in Nevermore, Georgia. The quiet little town she lived in and hoped to leave just as soon as she graduated from its boring little high school with its uninteresting and unpretty students. Her social media platform had been growing ever since she rebranded herself as a dark witch. 
She was now influencing 5,000 followers. It really made no difference to her that they consisted mostly of preteen girls who were confused about their identities and creepy old men who commented on how hot she was in her various witch costumes. All that mattered is that she was seen for what she really was, a woman who deserved to be loved for her beauty. In fact, she knew that her star was just beginning to rise and would rise further after she took care of a bit of nasty personal business. So, she sat on the floor of her blood room, legs crossed, perfectly in the middle of a pentagram. Murga called the spare room in her parents' home her blood room, because it was where she worked her black magic to cause harm to those whom she considered blood enemies. She had used this room just a couple hours ago when she cast a spell to conjure the boo hag on her ex-boyfriend, Ricky Pierce, the cheating bastard. But, though she considered herself powerful, she mustn't yet be powerful enough to conjure such a malevolent entity as the boo hag. The room was now lit with 13 black candles placed precisely around the pentagram, which was drawn on the wooden floor in red chalk. Her eyes were closed as she softly chanted a spell over the puppet doll sitting in front of her. It was carved out of an oak branch and had twine tied to its head to resemble a woman's hair. A ruby ring was tied to one of its arms. The puppet doll was an old Middle English version of a voodoo doll. The ring belonged to Murga's neighbor, Maul Gowdy, formerly her best friend, until Maul worked a white magic spell on Ricky Pierce. The spell made Ricky fall in love with Maul, which was not cool, considering that Maul knew that Ricky was Murga's boyfriend. And, beyond the whole Ricky Pierce situation, Maul's Instagram was closing in on 6,000 followers. She stole my boyfriend and has more followers than me? That ends tonight. Murga was so mad she could barely enunciate the words to her spell correctly. That witch knew I wanted Ricky first. Just because they are both going to the same college next year doesn't give her the right to steal him from me. Not cool. Not cool cool at all. She took a deep, calming breath and focused on the spell, which was Babylonian and difficult to enunciate. She successfully whispered the spell three consecutive times, then picked up a large knife that had been placed beside the poppet doll. The spell required that she repeat the incantation four times, then use a sharp object to stab the doll in the heart. When that happened, the person whom the doll represented, in this case, Maul Gowdy, would suffer an intensely painful and deadly heart attack. I'll show you what happens when you use your white magic on the boyfriend of a dark magic witch. She finished the final word of the spell, raised the knife, and prepared to plunge it down into the puppet doll, when suddenly all thirteen candles were snuffed out blanketing the room in complete darkness. The closed door to the room swung slowly open, creaking as it did so, causing a shiver to run through Murga. She dropped the knife in shock, then looked around the room 
trying to see who had opened the door. There were no lights on in the house, and her eyes had not yet adjusted to the sudden darkness. Is that you, Maul? she asked, squinting to the door. You don't scare me. Don't try to use your white magic on me. It won't work. From the doorway came a croaking laugh. It sounded as if it came from lungs that were desert dry and a throat filled with grave dirt. Me the boo-hat girl. Me no use the white magic. It no good for killing and getting me the new skin. Murga's blood ran cold at the sound of that death-filled voice. Being a black witch, she knew there were terrible and evil things that lived in the shadows, and she instinctively knew that what had just spoken to her was not something conjured by a white witch such as Maul. Murga's mind reeled. Her spell had worked, and she had conjured the boo-hag. Her mind raced as she considered different spells that may work against the old woman. How did the boo-hag end up in my home? She was supposed to go after Ricky. You wasting your time, dumb girl. Once the boo-hag put the mark on you, there is no escaping. Murga knew that her chances of surviving this encounter were slim. She had to act fast. Why are you here, Madam Boo-hag? She said into the dark keeping her tone reverent. She squinted toward the open door, but her eyes just couldn't seem to adjust enough to see any details. I called on you for revenge. What have I done to deserve a visit from you? The boo-hag chuckled. (laughs) It resonated from deep in her chest, sounding guttural, phlegmy. You playing with dark magic, dumb girl. Dark magic don't want to be played with. Dark magic take a strong soul to control it, and it always eats that soul in the end. And you don't got no strong soul, you dumb girl. So I take you soul now. Use you soul for myself. Use it for me power. Murga's heart beat so rapidly it made it hard to breathe. There wasn't a lot of verified information about the boo hag. What little was known to be true was that she crept into your room over the span of a week, in the dark of night, to slowly steal your breath by sitting on your chest as you slept. However, she stole more than just your breath. Once you were dead, she stole your skin and would eat your soul. One story did come to mind that gave Murga a surge of hope. The story went that the boohag was afraid of light, and that's why she always struck at night. Supposedly, around the turn of the last century, just as electricity was being wired into the houses of the wealthy, she had been stealing a young rich man's breath. However, he knew the signs of what was called boohag sickness, 
as they manifested the next day as shortness of breath and fatigue, bruises on the chest, and broken ribs. Suffering these symptoms, he concluded that he was being visited by the old woman. In desperation, he devised a trick where he tied a string to the overhead light fixture above his bed. The string was long enough that he tied it to his wrist and lay down on top of the covers. That night, he pretended to sleep, waiting for the boo-hag to sneak in and sit on his chest. When the old woman crept into the room, he waited until she was at the foot of the bed, and he pulled the string, washing the room in light. The story went that the boo-hag was burned by the light, and she ran from the room and out the window, never returning to harm the young rich man. Murga knew that she was too far away from the switches on the wall. She'd never make it in time. Her only recourse was to use a spell to flip the switches and turn on the overhead light fixture, as well as the two floor lamps situated around the room. She considered which spell would be most likely to succeed and yelled, Illustrant Octenebris! The lights flicked on, chasing away every bit of darkness or shadow in the room. The boo-hag stood in the doorway. She was nearly seven feet tall and extremely thin. She was naked, except for a ragged cape that hung off one shoulder. She stood hunched over. Her skin was torn and dry and sagging from her frame. Murga could see the red sinew through the torn patches. The skin on her skull was so loose it appeared to be a horrifying, melted mask. The boo-hag threw her head back and laughed. The skin around her mouth hung limply from her chin. What you do, dumb girl? You try to kill me with light? That no work on me. <laughs> Murga screamed and scrambled to her feet. She ran for the window, hoping to jump through to safety. However, just as she stepped outside the pentagram, she was lifted off her feet and thrown against the far wall. Murga felt her neck snap, breaking vertebrae, and she fell onto the floor in a heap. Her mind raced, her heart pounded. She struggled to breathe due to her injuries. She tried to scream but couldn't. The boo-hag lumbered over and stood looking down on her. Black magic don't help you, dumb girl. Black magic bad, bad. Even the strongest witches be eaten by black magic in the end. Spending all eternity with the devil. Letting him torture them forever and ever. Murga began to cry. No, please, no, she whispered. Please, don't. The boo-hag gave her guttural, grave dirt <laughs> chuckle. You soul just tainted enough for me to get stronger. You skinned just enough stain to be me armor. Me eat you, dumb girl. Me eat you. And where you good? The boo hag straddled Murga and squatted down on her chest. 
She leaned her face down until her dry, wrinkled nose touched Murga's. She took a long, slow, weak breath. It sounded as if the old woman had a death rattle deep in her chest. However, as she continued to suck Murga's breath, the rattle changed, becoming stronger, wetter. The last thing Murga saw before darkness overcame her was the boo hag using her fingers to pull at the rotting flesh that hung from her grotesque frame. Me take you skin now, dumb girl. Me wear you skin and eat you soul. It took only a few minutes for the boo hag to peel the skin from Murga's lifeless body but she took her time in applying it to her own desiccated frame. Her new skin felt good. It was taut, yet supple. It clung to her long, lanky frame instead of hanging from it, like her old skin. Though she still looked hideous, it gave her a boost of power. Dumb girl, not so dumb. She said aloud as she felt an increase of energy course through her. This girl stronger than me thought. Her skin alive with dark magic. But it not be enough. Me need more souls. She stepped out of Murga's blood room and walked through the house and out the front door. She took her long, crooked staff and tapped it on the ground. She closed her eyes and turned her nose into the air and sniffed. Me smell you sleeping with them bad, bad thoughts. Me come and eat you, soul. Use them bad, bad thoughts. She glanced down the street, which was lined with a winding sidewalk. Every thirty feet was an ornate lamppost that cast pools of yellow light that only succeeded in giving the street a surreal quality. Instead of providing comfort and an invitation to stroll, the yellow light made the landscape seem jaundiced, diseased, and made the neighborhood look woeful with a threat of menace. She tapped her staff on the ground and crept toward one particular house at the end of the cul-de-sac.